0: We've been talking about what it is to find good news for those that were struggling, good news for those that were were wondering and and questioning what God was going to do. Today, I want to talk to those who are serving the Lord those who have walked with the Lord for a long time, because we're going to learn from Luke chapter 2 about a man and a woman who served God faithfully over many years, and in doing so, God had a message of good news for them. And we're going to learn how we can wait for God's good news and why it's worth all the trouble and all the difficulty that comes our way. So we're going to learn this morning from Simeon and Anna. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 22 through 38 this morning. I'm going to read it, and then I want to draw out three truths around this subject matter of waiting. Let's look at what the uh, Word of God says through His servant Luke. And He's going to talk about the moments after, just a couple days after all of the events at Bethlehem. And we're going to learn what Joseph and Mary, one of the first things they did after Jesus was born. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. They were to then offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. They were to offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Simeon took Jesus into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel." And Jesus' father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there, during that time where Simeon was at, there was also a prophetess. Her name was Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Now she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then was a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Two words Luke uses, and he seemingly puts them as bookends so that it would capture our attention this Christmas. That word used twice is the word waiting Notice at the beginning of the text, it says of Simeon that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then the very last verse, verse 38 of the text, it tells us that Anna would speak to all who were waiting. Christmas is a season of waiting. It's true in the biblical times. It's true in the secular moments. As we look at the many movies that we see, we, we know George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life was waiting for an answer to a financial crisis that had hit Bedford Falls. When it came to the Brady, Cindy Brady, the little one with little pigtails, she was waiting for her mom to be healed from laryngitis so she could sing on Christmas morning. For Clark Griswold, he was waiting for a Christmas bonus. You see, there is a season of waiting for all. Young and old. Little Ralphie from A Christmas Story was waiting for the Red Rider BB gun. Seasons... waiting. Some of you find yourself waiting. Some of the kids here are waiting for that gift. Maybe you're waiting for family to travel from far away to come and visit. You've quarantined and you've made sure everything is exactly where it needs to be because you're waiting for that moment where you're going to be able to spend some time with those whom you love. For the children of Israel, that first Christmas was a season of waiting Not a short amount of waiting, not a couple days, but they had been waiting for hundreds of years. In fact, for 400 years prior to the days of Simeon and Anna, they had been waiting to hear from God. For 400 years, no prophet has spoken, God had not made himself uh, available to the people to be guided and led and directed by the God that they had come to know and love. And it began to feel like God had forgotten them. It felt like God was no longer acquainted with their worries and concerns. It seemed as if God found himself busy with other things so that he could not deal with what was causing the people of Israel so much anxiety and grief. It was a time of political waiting. They found themselves under uh, the nation of Rome, the most powerful nation in all of the world. They didn't get to do what they wanted to do. They didn't have the freedoms that they once had. And they waited. When was Messiah going to come? There was spiritual waiting. The prophets no longer were around to direct them and tell them what uh, they were doing right and what they needed to fix and what they were doing wrong. There was no doubt all kinds of waiting in this room. I am sure many of you find yourself in the waiting room. As a country, as a church, as a world, we're waiting for a sickness to be done. We've waited for vaccines. We've waited for mandates to be uh, loosened. We're waiting for life to get back to normal. We're waiting and waiting. And with every season we think it's going to be over, it just gets more and more drawn out. This Christmas, more than ever, we need to hear from God in the example of Simeon and Anna. We need to be reminded of how to wait and to wait well. Did you know in the Bible, the Bible speaks about waiting more than a 100 different times in both of the Testaments, and waiting while we hate it, It's been said that waiting is one of the most difficult things to do in the human experience. While we hate it, God seems to love it. God seems to use it to grow us deeper in our love and appreciation for him and his word and his presence. That God seems to use waiting in the people's lives that he's doing much in to refine and grow them and challenge them. Moses would wait 40 years. Joseph would wait 13 years. The people of God would wait hundreds of years waiting to hear. And maybe this morning you find yourself waiting. Waiting for an answer. Waiting for a relationship. Waiting for some hope to strike on the horizon. Maybe you find yourself in a place of despondency and depression because you feel like you've waited so long and your patience has run out. Well, I want to encourage you, God does his best work in the waiting rooms of life. And if we will honor him, if we will trust him, if we will remain faithful to him, then we as Simeon and Anna will, will in the moment, when they see God in his fullness, they will say it was worth it all. So what do we do in this season of waiting? What do we do to make sure we wait in a way that honors God? Well, there's a couple truths that I want you to walk away from. Number one, I want you to know that the Bible makes it clear and our text makes it clear that waiting for God or on God is not a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. I know for some of you, think you, you're wasting your time. Your life is wasting away. Some of you are experiencing loss of school years or loss of opportunities in business, and you're sitting there just twiddling my thumbs. I'm wasting away. But God wants us to know that there's a reason for waiting. Now, long had passed the words of Isaiah about this Messiah who was going to come. Hundreds of years had gone by. The words of Isaiah were in the distant rearview mirror of Israel's mind They had forgotten about it, and many had given up hope that Messiah was going to come. But there was a glimmer of hope in these last days. Word, no doubt, had gotten out. Some weird things were happening. One of the priests, a well-known priest, Zacharias, who was an old man, his wife, who was old herself, not only was with child, but had now given birth to a son that God had said was a miracle baby who was to be named John, who was going to pierce the hearts of the people of Israel and call them back to repentance. Then there was word out of a backwater town of Bethlehem, That during the census, something weird had taken place. Now, we don't want to give it much credence because it came from shepherds. And shepherds, you know, they're not all that trustworthy. But they've made quite a ruckus that while they were tending to their fields by night, angels appeared to them and sang glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. That Messiah was coming. And they went and supposedly, per their words, They found the Messiah. He's a baby wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger. There's no question that those things had started to get out. But very quietly, Joseph and Mary did whatever first-time mom and dad did who loved and feared God. They went to the temple to have their child dedicated to the Lord. And when they showed up into the house of the Lord... They served as a blessing and they were blessed, which is a great reminder for us as we come into the house of the Lord that there's a two-way street that comes. When you are in this place, you are to serve as a blessing to others. Whoever you come in contact with, that you might encourage and speak truth into the life of those around you and that in being here that you might be blessed. Mary and Joseph were blessed and they served as a blessing to those in the house of the Lord. And when they get to the temple, they meet two very old individuals, Simeon and Anna. Now, there's some things that are true about both of them. They're both Jewish. They're both old. They're both in the temple at the right time. They both seemingly are serving the Lord. One is a priest. Another one's a prophetess. But the difference, one is a man and one's a woman. But they see Jesus and they experience what they believe to be God's exclamation point on declaring that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But before all of that, there had been this season of waiting. And what we learn of Simeon and Anna helps us in our waiting rooms, helps us as we wait on answers. So what are we to do when we're waiting? How are we to wait well? Because in this season of Christmas, amidst COVID, we're waiting on a lot of temporal things. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are in a season of waiting. We're waiting on the second advent, the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we wait well? Three truths I want you to write down. Number one, as you wait, remember, finishing is more important than the first steps of the race. Finishing is more important than the first steps of the race. We are going to be introduced to Simeon and Anna, both of them well-aged, Both of them in the last chapter of their lives. They are on the back half of God's course of life. They're on the back nine, if you will. And they find themselves being used by God in a powerful way. In fact, when speaking of Simeon, Luke says twice in our text, he alludes to the fact that death is upon Simeon. In fact, it says that he knows, he hears, he's not going to die until he has seen Jesus. And then when he sees Jesus, he says, I can die now. I can depart in peace because I've seen the one and only. I've seen Israel's salvation. And what we learn is, and we'll learn that Anna is 84 years of age, It's quite amazing that we know nothing about these two prior to their elderly days. Not a lick is written about them, about their younger life, how they got into the ministry, the great things they did as young people within the ministry. What we have before us is only a testimony of what they were doing in their latter years, which is a wonderful reminder for all of us as we grow older, especially for those that find themselves 50, maybe 60 years of age, moving on to the back nine of the, of the journey of life, to ask the question, how active am I in my faith? Because it said in present tense that Simeon was a devoted, righteous man. Even into the last moments of his life, he was devoted to the Lord. For those that are a little farther ahead of me in the journey, how devoted are you to the Lord? Have you ever thought that Christmas has a whole lot more of old people in it than we give it credit for? That Christmas is a reminder that God wants to use older people for His glory and renown? And we live in a culture that you get to a certain age, you can retire, you can kind of take your foot off the gas. But what we see of Elizabeth and and Zacharias, what we see of Simeon and Anna, are old people, yes, old people, serving God in awesome ways. Not looking back to the glory days of their youth, but in that moment, in that time and place, seeking to serve God with every ounce of the life that God would give them to the very end. Can that be said of us in our old age? Oh, we love to challenge the teenagers, get serious about the Lord, but let's pivot to us older people. And yes, every day I get closer to the older people and the question is, am I serving the Lord with the same passion and excitement? Now, I'm getting to a place where I don't work as hard and, and as quickly as I once did. I don't have the same amount of energy that I once did, working late into the night and all of that. But is that passion there. One of the great gifts that I've been able to see is my parents have grown older. I told you just a couple of weeks ago, they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, and I find myself being blown away by their faithfulness. And what a gift, faithful older people are are my mom and dad doing everything they did as they did in their younger days no they move a lot slower but they love jesus more and more each and every day and they're depart as they depart from this earth they are continually reminding their children and their grandchildren and if god would grant them great-grandchildren the faith of what it is to walk with the lord the church needs old people Families need old people who will serve faithfully to the Lord. So stop thinking that the beginning steps are the most important. It's how you finish the race that counts, not how you start it. And Simeon and Anna remind us of this truth. So how about you? Maybe you find yourself in the latter chapters of life. Have you taken your foot off the gas? Be like Simeon and Anna who served God and were ready to do whatever God asked of them so that they may honor him in all that they do. Number two, notice when things fall apart, turn to God. So we look at Anna, so we've seen Simeon, old guy serving righteous and devout, Anna comes on. We know nothing about Anna prior to this encounter except for one truth, she was married and she lost her husband. Now we are told by Luke that she was married for seven years, lost her husband and then lived perpetually from that point on as a widow and she devoted herself day and night to praying and fasting and serving within the temple. Now she didn't have to choose that. Let's face it, 27 years old. Let's assume she got married at 27 years, 27. That would have been a kind of a a late marriage for people in that day, but let's say that She was just starting life. There's no mention of kids, and her husband dies. We're not told how he dies, but he dies. And I got to imagine that just as she longed to be married to her first husband, and while it was okay, according to the customs of the day, for her to get remarried, she made a decision not to. And she made a decision that the Bible says she continued on until 84 years of age and that was to serve in the temple day and night. She devoted herself not to a husband, not to a family, not to all the things that God says are great things to raise a family, to have uh, joys of marriage are, are all good, they're gifts of God. She turned her attention to God. God. She devoted herself now in our day it 's easy for us when things like losing a loved one or major cataclysmic things happen in our lives, we can grow bitter against God. We can shake our fists at God in our waiting, we can be frustrated with God that he 's not accomplishing or doing what he promised but How much better is it that we would be like Anna, who would dedicate ourselves and say, Lord, if you give me a husband or you don't, if you bring me joy like that or not, I am going to serve you. I am going to honor you every step of the way. Now, here's the crazy thing. We've got to commit to that prior to the difficult days coming. Anna didn't come to that place after, if you will, she seemingly knew that beforehand. We have got to rehearse in our minds, God and the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to obey you because I don't know. Something may happen this week where life is going to be interrupted and I need to make a decision that when that interruption comes, I'm going to turn to you. If you were with us last week, you heard a prophet preach to you. Our student ministry pastor, Mario, got up. You can go back and rewind the tape. Mario got up here, and he said, my name's Mario Arendang. I serve as student ministries pastor. And he says, let me tell you one truth. Between now and Christmas, some of you are gonna experience an interruption that's gonna challenge your faith. You know where Mario's at right now? A Chicago hospital with his son. Why? Because in the middle of the week, His son had some symptoms. Jack, many of us know Jack, teenage boy. Symptoms in the middle of the week, was having difficulty breathing, some heart issues. Went in, they found a 17 centimeter mass in his chest. And so now their life has changed. Mario's a prophet. Between now and Christmas, some of you are going to find an interruption that's going to challenge your faith. I call Mario Mario, how are you doing? And with tears, he says, you know what? God does good things, and God does hard things, and we're going to trust God. We're going to trust God. Why? Because when things fall apart, we need to be like Anna and Mario. We need to turn to God. Yeah, amen. Because in those moments, a choice will be made. Amidst the pain and sorrow that Anna felt, she turned her attention to God, and no doubt people challenge her on that. Why don't you get married? Why don't you find the husband that you've been looking for? For some this Christmas, it's going to be an unkind time. For many of us, we're experiencing a Christmas that we never could have imagined. Wondering, do I see my family? Don't I see my family? You know, all of these questions and all of the turmoil that comes into all of these decisions that our government's made and, and our world is making, and these are difficult times in difficult moments. My brothers and sisters, turn to God. Turn to Him. Don't grow bitter. Don't get angry. Turn to God and ask God, what would you require of me? Third truth, third truth about how we don't waste our time, recognize and remember, holiness isn't about big fanfare, but small steps of faithfulness. This is the only time we hear about Simeon and Anna. It's the only mention of them. Now, are they serving in great crusades? Are they selling books and selling out conference tours of, of Christians everywhere? no. Do they got the lights shining on them and everybody watching? No. In fact, the only mention we get, Luke gets his uh, his uh, edition of the story, no doubt from Mary. And so Mary remembers and recognizes these two very insignificant people. These two people that nobody would be able to pick out of a crowd. But one of the great sins of the evangelical church is that we love fame. We love the spotlight. We love our preachers to be well-known. We love a good, faithful preacher as a preacher that's preaching to thousands of people who have a lot of followers on Twitter and have lots of books and maybe on the radio and TV. We love that. That's my preacher. That's my pastor. But what we learn is that God uses the small and insignificant people who are faithful and so don't forget when you go into the house of the Lord to not just thank, and I'm appreciative of the thanks I get, but to thank the people that are serving in the nursery, the people that are handing you the bulletin, the people that are doing the insignificant, the smaller things. Their steps of faithfulness. Those that are praying for every component of the service. It isn't about fanfare. What we learn in the waiting days of life is that our small steps of faithfulness that maybe nobody else sees, that God sees it. And recorded for all time are these two very insignificant, unknown individuals that God saw fit to canonize in the Scriptures devout and righteous people. Listen, don't, whether young or old, don't seek out the affirmation of men. Seek the affirmation of one who will say you were devout, and righteous and you will live this life well so we're waiting let's finish better than we started when things fall apart let's turn to god and let's recognize even small steps of faithfulness that maybe nobody else sees are being seen by god and being used in massive ways number two recognize that waiting is hard but it's worth the trouble Waiting is hard, but it's worth the trouble. Let me, let me speculate for a moment. Simeon and Anna, serving a long time, dedicating their life to this God who remains silent, looking forward to this Messiah who was going to come, but never did. I wonder if there were individuals kind of whispering in their ear, is it worth all the pain and trouble? Is it worth it all? Maybe you have neighbors or family members that say, you're going to church again? You're giving to your church? Is it worth it? You're you're praying, you're holding Bible studies for this Jesus you've never seen and never verbally uh, heard from? Is it worth it? Is it worth all the trouble? There were a lot of people in Israel's day that said, give up on hope. Let's start figuring out how to work with the Roman Empire. Let's figure out if we can find a political answer to this thing. Because the God answer, thats that's gone. And they began to wonder, was it worth all the trouble? I wonder if Anna heard, you know what, stop serving in the temple, Anna. You're young, you're a beautiful lady. Go find yourself a husband. Don't get wedded to the temple. Don't get wedded to this God who never shows up. Why don't you find a real man? Why don't you find someone who will bring you happiness? We live in a world that tells us, what are you waiting for? Young people are told to give up on their purity. Because there's all sorts of pleasure and opportunities in and, and not following God's commands with regards to our body. The world tells us to go after the world and its possessions. And so to give to the Lord or to wait in abstinence isn't, isn't smart. It isn't wise according to the foolishness of this world. And so we are constantly being whispered to, is it worth it? Is waiting on Jesus worth it? And the answer is yes. Now, I'm going to give you a very earthly response, and I mean this in all seriousness. And some will say, well, that's a a pretty small way of seeing something worth it. But then I want to challenge us with a far greater principle, and that is, as a young boy, I was given the unenviable opportunity to do something very foolish, I remember the day it was a summer day and I was introduced by an employee of my dad's to become a cub fan. And this guy was a long-time cub fan and he with a coke bottle in his hand. Yeah, this is how far back I go. A coke bottle, not a can. This is the olden days when you drank out of a glass bottle, amen. All right? And we're sitting there sharing a coke and he's telling me, "Why I should become a cub fan? I'm 7 years old." And I believe this guy. And he says, it's so great. It's so wonderful. I feel my summer days listening to the Cubs on the radio and watching them on TV. And I'm like, hey, I like you. I will like what you like. And I fell in love to that cult movement called Cubdom. And you know what the Cubs did for the next 37 years of my life? They broke my heart. Day in and day out, no joy. My own father, October of 1984, the first year I liked the Cubs, what do they do? They start winning and they lose to Goose Gossage and Steve Garvey of the Padres. They kill the Cubs, okay? And tears in my eye. dad, how could they do this to me? I love them so much. And my dad said, Tim, don't you know that's why they call them the lovable losers? No sympathy, no empathy, no nothing. Then they'd lose in 89, and we could just keep going. Lose, lose, lose. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Then my kids, I'm stupid enough to get my kids to fall in love with the Cubs. And my middle son, he he fell in love with the Cubs. And the Cubs lose against the Mets in their their run up to their World Series run. And Josh, little boy, devastated. And I said, you know, you can break my heart, Cubs. But now I see how frustrated. I'm done. And I kept saying, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And then I'd have you, and some of you are here. God, God condemn you. You're here and you'd say, why are you, why are you rooting for them? They're losers. It's never going to happen. And they mocked and all of that. Can I tell you something? In all seriousness, it was all worth it in 2016. (laughs) Amen. Okay. All of that disappeared. Okay. Okay when they finally hit the promise land, now it'd probably be another 216 years before they do it again, but they did it once, right? That's made all the waiting worth it. No matter all of that trouble, all of that static, listen to me, for all the days of your life, and this is way more important, you will hear static from the world that what you're doing for Jesus isn't worth it. But I'm telling you, Mark my words, the day you see Jesus face to face, just as Simeon and Anna did, you're gonna say, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. (laughs) Notice what, notice what Simeon says. Simeon takes Jesus into his hands, 84 years or older. He says, now I can die. I've, I've lived life. I've experienced all that I need to. I've met Jesus. Now I can die in peace. Listen to me, you can die in peace when you put your faith, hope, and trust in waiting on God to fulfill his promise. And it will happen, just as it did for Simeon and Anna. Well, what does this allow us to do? Let me close with this, and we'll close quickly. It allows us, when we wait well, when we allow ourselves to be bettered by God's waiting room and not grow bitter in God's waiting room, it allows us to be witnesses to God's truth. Simeon and Anna, they wait well. They wait faithfully. They wait in devotion to God. And what does God allow them to do? He allows them to speak truth, to be witnesses to God's truth. Simeon takes Jesus into his arms, says, I can die now, but before I do, he speaks a word to Mary and Joseph, specifically to Mary, and says, Mary, this This is going to be a great baby, but there's going to be great pain and sorrow alluding to the death of Jesus Christ that Mary would see with her own eyes. It was going to cut at her very heart. It was going to break her heart in many ways. So enjoy the good times, Mary, because difficult times were ahead. He also speaks that this baby Jesus is the consolation, the peace, the gift that Israel had been waiting for. And he proclaims it and prophesies to Israel that this is the greatness that would put Israel back on the map. It would be a light not only to Israel, but to all Gentiles. And he proclaims, notice at the end of the passage in verse 38, it says that Anna, upon seeing what she saw, waiting well and experiencing God's answer at the end of the waiting room, she went and told any and all who would listen of the redemption of Israel, had finally come. Brothers and sisters, when we wait well, we will live out what Paul said in Romans 8.18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That we have got something coming. And so as we wait, we tell others about Jesus. Notice the things that they tell people about. It's all about Jesus It's about his redemption that brings lost souls into salvation. It's about the peace and consolation that Jesus brings to a lost and broken world. And three, it's words of thanks. Thanks be to God. Gratitude is so difficult when we're waiting. But when we have our eyes on Jesus and we see God at work and we allow God to use us and speak to a world, then we will overflow to that watching world about Jesus, about his redemption, about the peace that he brings and the great gratitude we have. So whatever you find yourself this morning waiting on, whatever waiting room that you want so badly to get out of, turn to God, Serve him, honor him in all that you say and do, even in the small things that nobody else sees. And God promises, as difficult as life may be, as much static and pushback you get from others, when we see Jesus, it will all be worth it. So be faithful and to continue to persevere. And don't give up, because on that great and glorious day, we will know why we waited as long as we did. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this godly example of a man and woman well in their years who served faithfully to the end. And thank you, Lord, for a reminder that your promise will come to fruition. But until then, Lord, we wait. And as difficult as that may be, As much trouble as that may cause us, we do so not without hope, but with great hope and great anticipation of what you're going to do. So Lord, I pray this week of Christmas, as we quiet our hearts and as we prepare ourselves for that celebration of your gift, that we would pause and recognize in this moment we're waiting. But we're not waiting and wondering if you're going to show up. We're waiting, knowing you're going to show up. And until then, you've given us something to share. You've given us truths to hold on to. And you've given us jobs to fulfill. So let us take the truths of these words and let them mark our lives and impact our week so that we may honor you in everything that we say and do. We love you. And we give you great praise for sending your son Jesus that we may have life and redemption and peace. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.